more burnt out you get, the worse the decision that you're going to make. And the faster you try and stay on top of everything, the more likely you are to make a bad decision that takes you from your best year ever to insolvent. So do you want to fix that? Because that's really what's at stake here. And I say that with the most love and compassion possible because I did it. I did the exact same thing. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where this time we have my friend Lucy Bloomfield on the show. Lucy is an expert in e-com growth, and she is the CEO and founder of 10,000customers.com. As the name would suggest, she helps e-commerce businesses get to that 10,000 customer level and beyond. So really, really, we're talking about a specialism in that six figures to seven, and then helping you face and overcome the new challenges that come after that seven figure uh, revenue level. She doesn't just talk the talk, she also walks the walk, having built her own skincare company from the naught to 10,000 customer level in just 18 months. So she brings that to her clients, of which she has hundreds who she has helped grow to profitability and beyond. So without further ado, let's welcome Lucy to the stage. Lucy, how's it going? It is going really well, Martin. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on. Whereabouts in the world are you, Lucy? I am in beautiful Melbourne, Australia, and we have our freedom back, which makes it even more beautiful. <laughs> Just alienated me right there as I'm coming <laughs> from a cardboard box in lockdown uh, England. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I um, nah. I spent six months of the year locked up, and so you get this fine appreciation <laughs> for like the little things when you get to go out. <laughs> That's all right. We're in England. At least we have the weather <clears throat> or not, as it may be. So <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Let's get into the content. Let's 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 get warmed by your words today. So um, the way we like to kick off this show is we like to go back to a point in your past, which really serves as a, as a great point of interest and conflict and really sets the, the scene and the tone for your entrepreneurial journey. Um, if you've got a point in mind, could you take us back to that point? Tell us about it. Paint us a, a word picture. Okay, sure. Uh, so this is a really interesting question because I think as an entrepreneur, we we kind of have this sense from a really young age that we're going to do something big and trying to pinpoint one specific moment was quite difficult because I feel like there's been many moments in the journey. That said, one thing, two things stand out. The first thing is telling my mom that I was going to be a millionaire by 21 did not happen. <laughs> and then the second thing, I guess, really when I got into business and started taking things seriously was when I was working for an international cybersecurity company doing front-end development and design. And one of the really beautiful things about that job was it was a company in the US, I'm Australian, and I didn't have to work in the US. I could basically work from anywhere that I wanted in the world. And at the time, the US, the US dollar was really good for Australians. And I was just earning crazy amounts of money, traveling everywhere, just living this very uh, digital nomad lifestyle, which was really fun. But then I just, like most millennials, got really sick of um, having it all. <laughs> and I remember I was in Israel and I was like, one of our friends, one of my boyfriend at the time, and my friends had started a teeth whitening kit company where he was just like importing bullshit from China and using influencers to make shitloads of money. And when we looked at his website, there were typos and everything on it. We're like, we could do way better than that. And so we did. Uh, we we ended up starting a skincare company that, as you mentioned in the the intro, ended up being really really successful, and that's how my entrepreneurial journey started. Love that. And so, what was the name of that skincare company? Okay, this is a mouthful. No one's going to be able to spell it or say it. And this is like <laughs> big lesson number one of business. <laughs> so it's called Trefiel, and it's T R E F I E L. Now I have to give a bit of a backstory around this because it's really important. Um, as you guys know, I said already one big lesson from running that business. And I think the second thing that I really learned from that business is 
to be really careful about who you go into business with um, because while that company was really successful at the end of that business or when we were getting towards the point where it was like this is not working internally with my then boyfriend and business partner it got to the point where it was so bad and I couldn't see how anything was going to get better that I ended up uh, signing my half of the company over and walking out with nothing and within six months the company had disappeared. It's like the person that knew how to run the company the best was no longer at the company, (laughs) right? Um, But that's absolutely fine because I think think a lot of people in the audience would have um, similar stories, right? Businesses that um, for whatever reason, life sometimes gets in the way. There's a whole host of reasons why a business would would reach reach something and then um, as the founder switches focus for some reason... um, you know, it, 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 suffer, it suffers like a like a flower. But what is most important is the learnings because no one can ever take those away and that's what's most important. And so one thing that I didn't tease in the introduction was that um, you said off air, the biggest problem that your clients often have is that they make too much money. <laughs> I do feel for those poor people, right? Those, 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 those poor people with too much money. Do you want to delve into that? What does that mean? Okay, so we're going to step a little bit into woo, right? Which is a lot of people have really big hangups around money, um, especially when you haven't come from money. And what usually happens as a first point is that when you actually build a company for the first time and it's successful for the first time and you have so much money coming in that you've never, like you've never earned in a year, let alone a month. Um, you have huge meltdowns. It's, we call it the million dollar meltdown because suddenly your concept of yourself and your concept of money being difficult to make or whatever other stories that you have about money made up in your head come to the front and it's not true anymore. And usually what happens just on like an internal mindset level is people do one of two things. They do anything they can to get rid of the money. So they spend it, they reinvest it back into the business as fast as they make it. They feel so uncomfortable with the state that their money is in or the stage of their business is in and what their bank account looks like. Or the second thing that they do is they burn their business to the ground. (laughs) Subconsciously, they, uh, they make decisions that burn their business to the ground so they can get rid of the money. That's one of the problems. The other problem is, is that actually getting a million dollar business from the, when you don't have a million dollar business from the outside, looking in all the people that have successful companies, you think that, oh my God, they must have so many, it it must be so easy. They must have so few problems. And the reality is once you get to your first meal and you've got like a million dollar a year business the problems change and everything that you've done, the skill set that you've built to get it to that point is completely irrelevant from that point onwards. And it's a whole mindset shift and it's a whole, like everything suddenly feels counterintuitive because the answer isn't to hustle another million dollars. It just won't work. Like that. Right. We're going to leave that loop open and we're going to come back to that. Let's okay. go back to your story. So so we're at the point where the skincare company has like gone do 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 you've left it and it's fallen off a cliff but in that time you've you've decided to do something else like can you tell us so I I guess you're still a bit nomadic at this at this point you know with your backpack with your laptop in it like like what's next what came next yeah so we built that skincare company up to a point where we could travel the world and we kind of played around with that and then I left um and then I spent a year freaking out because I my whole identity was wrapped up in being a business owner and being the skincare girl and literally having no time to be a person and all of a sudden I had all this time and had no idea what I wanted to do next and it was a really really difficult year like first world problems to not know what you want to do with your life but as someone who gets a lot of meaning from the way that they spend their day and the way they they do their work, probably the same as you, Martin, right? It's very challenging to your sense of self when the thing that you've spent the last three years building is just gone. I figured it out though. So I figured out that actually what I had done at the time, this is pre so many e-com gurus being around, pre everyone having a really clear idea of how, how to do digital marketing 
in 2021, we are so lucky. There are so many amazingly talented people who can help you build your business, who know their chops, who know what they're doing, who have helped countless people, but it wasn't like that at the time. And so I realized that I kind of had a sense of duty um, to particularly women, because we don't have statistically a good chance of building successful companies. And I realized that the skill set and the experience and the knowledge that I had was really, really valuable to people who were, to be quite frank, unlikely to be successful. And that's when I started teaching women at first um, and then men later on how to build really successful product um, companies. Nice. And I that's mean, 10, and no small, customers. and that's 10,000 customers, 10,000customers.com folks. So that's no small feat, right? And, and the reason I say that is because actually a physical business, a physical product business, an e-commerce business, a DMBB is there's a lot of moving parts when you have to, and I, I don't know necessarily the fulfillment side of your clients or what you teach, but when you're taking into account everything from, from the operations, the marketing, the technology, the finance, the HR, right? There's a lot of departments. There's a lot of spinning plates is how I like to refer or small fires, right? Um, if you, if you prefer to, to get a visual representation there, um, at that point, right? And so getting that to the point where it's understandable and and implementable for for clients is is undoubtedly going to be a massive challenge. So how do you how do you tackle it? Are you niching down into a certain area your are your clients are you saying right we're going to I'm going to teach drop shipping for example or are you like how, how does it work? How do you help your um clients get over that initial whoa, this is a lot. Yeah. So I think there's, so product businesses, I mean, product businesses have many problems. And if anyone is listening to this and they have a product business, they know that that is true because everything is always <laughs> on fire all of the time. <laughs> um, but product businesses actually generally on a basic foundational level have two problems. They either have a volume problem or they have a leverage problem. And so what happens in businesses, even if you're not having a good swing at the moment or you haven't actually built a really wildly successful product business yet, you're going to swing between those two things. And when someone solves the volume problem, at least temporarily, and they get their first million dollars in sales, say, actually the, th the answer to what's happening inside their business is not to make more money. People always have this mistake and it's not their fault because for all the time that it took to get them to that peak moment of business that they're at is make more money, make more money, make more money, make more money. And yes, that's true. And yes, I want anyone who's listening to this to obviously make more money if that's your goal. But actually, though, the way that you make more money once you hit that point is you start building leverage into the company. And a lot of people hear that word and they go like, yeah, 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 leverage. But they don't actually understand what it means. Like, imagine a what's the best way to describe it? Imagine like a seesaw at the moment and you're going from seat to seat to get the seesaw down. So you sit on one end and the other side goes up. So you quickly go over there. Who's the, who's the leverage in that? Who's the weight? You are, right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And so leverage in the sense of, of a company, like a product company is not being the weight on the seesaw anymore, letting the company be the weight of the seesaw. And that's really, really difficult to wrap your mind around. It sounds simple. And I know for a lot of my clients, they, they're just nodding their heads and saying, yes, we understand. But actually, when it comes to building it, it's a completely different thing. Um, and it's very tailored to the business as well, because if you have a fulfillment and even a supply chain situation, which is very simple, the leverage that you need to build is going to look completely different to someone who has handmade products. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Um, just to get it right in my simple little brain um, is another way of saying that, basically removing the bottleneck of yourself from the process. Is that? That is genius. Is yes. that what you're saying? Yes, 100%. Okay. Because what happens... So getting out of the way and becoming an owner of the business, not not a employee in your business. Correct. If you took out right. all the time that you were operating the company and actually spent it growing the business, which is the ultimate goal, right? As a business owner to get out of operations and into growing, you would have so much more time to do that. But the problem is, is when, especially when you have a big run of success and you grow really quickly, is you take a business that runs like a 
let's just say in a good case, a $50,000 a month business on the back end, like all of your systems are built for a business that's around about that size and you put a million dollars of money and volume of orders into it, it's just like it breaks. It completely breaks. There's nothing there to support that kind of volume of sales. And you're 100% right. It is about bottlenecks. There's an amazing, amazing, amazing book that blew my mind when I first started learning about this stuff called The Goal. It's a graphic novel, so it's not like a a heavy-duty book, but the guy who wrote it is a fucking genius. Like if you take um, a doctorate of physics and overlay it over – a product business and then turn it into a very consumable graphic novel that explains how the back end of manufacturing of companies that produce like uh, factory parts or like Ben and Jerry's where they produce a million pints a day. Read that book. You will understand how they did it. Love that. I yes. love that. Okay, so so um, so we've established what a leverage problem is, which is one um, one of the, the the two main problems that a physical um, product business might face. What was the other one? Volume. Volume. So let's um, let's get a seesaw analogy for volume. What does volume mean? Okay, so volume is is basically essentially um, how much volume of orders you have coming through, and usually the threshold for a business that has not yet had its first million dollar year is like getting to your first 30, 40, $50,000 month. That's when the volume feels like it's solved. The volume problem feels like it's solved at least temporarily because then there's good amount of cash coming in. There's a good amount of cash in the bank and the, the problems that you face as a CEO are no longer shit. I've got to make more money. It's shit. How am I going to deliver all these orders? And that's where we swing back to leverage. So the dance, especially in your first couple of years in the product business is trying to keep both of them like pretty happy because if you don't take care of the volume problem and you get obsessed with building leverage and processes and everything, your business will go bankrupt. And if you only focused on volume and you never build any leverage at all, the business will kill you. Like you can't sustain the pace that you're working at. You'll hire way too many people way too quickly. And potentially, and I see this all the time, you swing really wildly from like 100K months to 10K months, 100K months to 10K months, because you're going volume, leverage, volume, leverage. It's it's really messy. <laughs> all right. So, okay, so let's get into it because um, you've helped hundreds of e-commerce businesses grow. Mm-hmm. And um, as such, you must know a thing or two. So being a stickler for the details and the nitty gritty, um, let's let's jump into some some actionable ways that uh, that businesses can um, e-commerce businesses can grow, like or, or common problems, if you like, that you see all the time, and how and the specific fixes that you've implemented. Yeah, cool. So I think as a as a first place, um, if your problems in the business right now stem around money, the only thing that you should be focused on is sales. Um, and there are plenty of amazing people on Martin's podcast who can talk, you know, deeply about creating more sales. Um, so definitely check those episodes out. And I think, sure, like, could I add some insight? Sure. But I actually think my strong suit is like what actually happens when you're making too much money. Um, because that has substantially less information about it. And I feel like that's going to be more valuable to people. Brilliant. So as a first step, make a shitload of money, break your business. (laughs) Um, Done that. Yeah. (laughs) Second step, Monday is your friend. So Monday is this amazing task management tool, uh, project management tool. It's not actually typically used for e-commerce. It's kind of used for like, um, I think it's mostly used for like managing developments or tech projects like uh, software as a service, for example. However, little do people know, it's actually fantastic for running e-com businesses on the operations side. And so what I would be looking at doing if this is your first step at building leverage is having a look at Monday and starting to set up your Monday as your virtual office. And the reason that we use Monday is that because you can you can build lots of automations into Monday. So let's just say, for example, you have a board in Monday that manages your inventory. Monday has this incredible integration with Shopify where you can import your inventory and look at it from Monday and build graphs around how low or high stock is instead of it just being a number, which by the way, is a really important detail because 
let's pose a hypothetical, I'm doing quotation marks, hypothetical, because I actually get really excited about this stuff. And it's something that I help my clients with all the time is there's a board in Monday, which feeds your, your inventory into it. And let's just say your uh, skincare product A gets down to 20 units. Oh, you set up an automation that when any product or this particular product gets down to 20 units, your supply chain process is automatically fired and an email is immediately sent to your supplier. And your team is assigned to the item to welcome the new stock into the warehouse three days later. Admin of running a business is suddenly lifted, right? And yes, I always say this to my clients as well. You will be working more to get the Monday set up so that it actually can lift. I kind of think of the unleveraged business as a really heavy, uncomfortable backpack. And you're currently carrying that on your shoulders. And what you want to do is use Monday to lift it up off your shoulders. So you're carrying like 5% of the load from now on. The other really amazing thing about Monday is that it gives you oversight of parts of the business where you don't actually have to... um, check in with your team constantly because this is another problem that people have. They don't have oversight. They don't have processes in their business. So they're constantly pestering their team about, okay, yeah, but what happens? Yeah, but what are you up to? And how's that project going? Like it's annoying for the team. It's stressful for everyone involved in those types of conversations. And what you can actually do is set up, let's, let's just say the fulfillment arm of your business. You can set up a dashboard in Monday and have your team enter their their KPIs at the end of every day as part of their checkout process. And you can get you can build a dashboard that shows you how many orders they shipped yesterday, how many orders they shipped over the week, whether they hit their KPIs or not. Really important. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and how long, like what's your oldest order today that's unfulfilled? So what this essentially does is it gets you out of talking to them and it gives your team the opportunity to manage themselves because KPIs in a fulfillment team essentially hold your team accountable to the expectations that your business um, has of its employees. This is especially beautiful because it doesn't come down to having a conversation about what did or didn't happen. You look at the dashboard, you see that team member C has once again not hit their KPIs. It's day it's day 14 of this. Sorry, got to go. Like the oversight of the entire company, you can do this for literally any part. You can do it for your sales team. If you have a Facebook ads agency or any type of advertising agency working for you, The way that you can get them to report to you is by entering their stats for the week or the month into Monday and then building a dashboard around that so that you can see whether they're hitting their KPIs around the cost of acquisition, um, whether they're hitting their KPIs for the number of sales. And you don't have to, oftentimes I find a lot of people get their reports from the, the Facebook ads agency and they don't really understand what it means. But when we link it to KPIs that we have expectations around performance for that, we can actually drive our sales team without necessarily getting bogged down in like a PDF report. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. We do something similar where it it stems from initially, I think the goal is to have everybody has a number, right? Because the question, I think you touched upon this, like the question, if you're speaking with your fulfillment team, your ads agency or whatever, if you're saying to them, hey, how's things going? You know, they're going to, they're going to have one one finger on, hey, I need to be positive to keep my job um, type thing. And then they're also, it's, it's a little bit wishy-washy okay things are going kind of whatever and oh yeah I expect it to get to get better in the future and oh we're testing out this and this and you you almost have a conversation where you're like oh wow there's a lot of opportunity and you can have that over and over and over and months pass years pass and uh, whereas tying them back to a number the number isn't isn't subjective it's objective right you're looking at a number if, if it's better than that number tick if it's worse than that number what's going on and it's pass fail there's no gray area and and I get it and it sounds I mean I've not used Monday um myself but it sounds I'm very familiar I mean you know you just have to turn on YouTube to get an ad for them but they're holding everybody knowing because that's something that employees crave as well right is that feedback if everybody knows how am I doing what am I trying to achieve where is my goal you know, I'm above the goal, or I'm going to start talking bonuses and commission. I'm below the goal. I'm going to work my ass off to get back, you know, to get above it. It's it's very very clear to everybody. So yeah, I totally totally follow. This is amazing because you're making the, the fuzzy clear. 
Yeah, 100%. And I always say to people that have hit their first mill or their first 800 or like in that higher end of the six figures, early stage um, seven figures, is actually for the next year, don't make any more money. Like try not to make any more money. Try to make the same amount of money. That never happens. You always grow anyway. But actually what the second year after you have that year of like, boom, my business is suddenly going off is if you spend a whole year Yes, doing sales, keep the sales where they are, but building the leverage the year after that is going to be fucking huge for you. Just do the boring work, get the processes sorted, build the Monday so that it lifts the lifts the business off your back. Because if you can lighten the load, that's scale. People get confused about what growth and scale are. That's scale. When you build the insides of the business and it's replicable through let's just say your fulfillment channel, if you can get um, a thousand orders out with one person packing every week, then if you get that job really systemized, both the management of that person, how they report to you, hiring and firing, um, you can just repeat that if you want another, if you want to put another 2000 orders through in a week. And that's, that's what people miss out. We get obsessed with more money, more money, more money, more money. But actually it's not about more money in the second year after you've had your big win. It's about building leverage so that you can make more money and not kill yourself. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And so when you, when a new client comes to you um, and you're, you're doing your audit to decide whether you can, can help them or so on, where is it that you most enjoy looking to, to sort of uncover whether they have a leverage problem? <laughs> The first question that I always ask is, so how many hours are you working? <laughs> like the, the, the founder, the founder themselves. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that a question? Okay. So, so what sort of answers do you get? All of them. <laughs> 18 hours a day, 16 hours a day, 20 hours a day, like really, really crazy numbers. And it's like, okay, cool. Why are you doing that? Oh, uh, because like I need to do everything and my team's really incompetent, even though I hired them and they seemed competent when I hired them. They just have so many fucking questions. And um, yeah, like I need to get the shit done. And it's just like, okay, cool. Here's what's going to happen if you keep going down this path. You will set your business on fire because <laughs> the more burnt out you get, the worse the decision that you're going to make. And the faster you try and stay on top of everything, the more likely you are to make a bad decision that takes you from your best year ever to insolvent. So do you want to fix that? Because that's really what's at stake here. And I say that with the most love and compassion possible because I did it. I did the exact same thing. And I've seen so many clients go through it where, again, we, we become obsessed with doubling the revenue every single month, which is fine until you have your first 100K month. And then it's not fine because 100 grand to 200 grand in 30 days is, it's possible to do, but it's fucking awful for the business owner inside it because you know what the cost of that is? It's basically your life. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Mm. <laughs> like a hundred percent. So you've got these frustrated, stressed, overworked, tired business owners uh, coming to you and, and so your first step, it sounds like, is 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 right, right. Okay, let's get this down to some numbers. Let's let's figure out where where are the problems, where are the issues, um, by getting it down to a number. What's next? Okay, cool. So the next thing really that you want to look at is usually the first place that you can get optimization from is in the fulfillment. Um, because Sometimes people will have people in place. Most of the time they do, but sometimes they don't. So lifting that load so that you can get that set up better and lighter and putting someone in place um, as soon as possible in a really good way, not just chucking someone in because ah, I don't have time and I need to fix this problem, but having a hiring, firing, management um, and internal structure for fulfilling orders and then putting someone in place is the first step. The next step that you really want to look at is people never do this, cash flow. When you first start having these really big cash months and there's a lot of money in the bank account, like I said earlier, people get really, really uncomfortable with lots of money and they freak out and then they start reinvesting it straight back into the business. But the problem is, is that unless you're using like a really good cash flow spreadsheet and you have oversight of all your numbers and not just your numbers for that week or that month, but actually numbers throughout the entire year, 
people will spend the money that they have now and forget that they have a $40,000 stock investment in a month and a half. And then that month and a half rolls up and they don't have anything to pay for it. That's where businesses go insolvent because there's no product to sell and there's no money to buy it with. So that's the next thing. The thing after that usually is getting help with the admin on the marketing, honestly. And that comes down to if you're driving the sales in your business, um, which you should be as a CEO, you should be leading that, that frontier. The next thing is like getting someone in place that can mimic the job that you do. And it's the most boring, time-consuming thing in the world and people hate doing it. But actually, if you spent a year documenting your entire job, and everything that you do in your business, you would be out of a job by the end of the year and you could do more of the shit that you want. And that's kind of the goal. Once you get to doing the marketing and stuff, it really depends on the business because some people might have really intense supply chains where there's many, many moving parts and there's also a hand making component. Some people don't. They have manufacturing taken care for them, in which case there's less work to do there. It really depends on the business. But the aim of the game is to basically process right yourself out of a job and put people into place so that you don't have to do as much of this, the shit and the operations that you currently are. I love that. There's two things there. There's um, there's making yourself redundant, which is a good thing when it's your business, right? That that's a good thing because you're not. It's, it's not like you will ever be out of a job if you're the person that you know owns the business, right? And the other thing is an expression that I'm I'm sure I didn't coin this. It's just something that I've started writing down, which is called delegate the hate. Um, and I don't I don't throw around the H word very often but like uh, it rhymes which is the main reason we're using it here but the point is those things you're doing that you shouldn't be doing you have no place doing it's not your strength it's not your area of what you enjoy right delegate it get get it get it off your plate Um, and I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying your message there but 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 also at the same time trying to reinforce it Uh, for the audience 100% like I think there's that shot okay well on that point right there is something to be said for knowing how to do every single part of your business 100% and then there's also something to be said at certain points of not doing shit that you probably shouldn't be doing um I personally think like you're asking for trouble if you try and outsource your finances or you put like a CFO in place don't do that shit they will steal from you that's that's (laughs) hands down uh number one way that people abdicate responsibility in their businesses. And it's also why people always get stolen from. So don't do that. So what do you mean there by steal from you? Um, Because you obviously don't mean literally steal, you steal your money. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. What do you mean? That's what I mean. You mean, so don't put a CFO in place because they will, they have access to your bank account and will take money. Yes. Or do you mean through raises or bonuses? Literally steal. Yes. A hundred percent. Had it happen a heap of times. Had had clients be embezzled from. Yes, of course. Because that, okay. So there's two things, right? There's hiring a CFO because you're really on top of your numbers, but you need someone to, um, implement the work that you're doing with the finances and then there's hiring a CFO because you're fucking scared about how much money you're making and I don't want to deal with this someone else take care of this it's not my strong suit if you have a successful business that's doing well you cannot give that finances away because they will steal from you they will 100% there is absolutely no it doesn't matter if it's your best friend they'll do it um wow because you're not watching and because you're not taking responsibility. So it's really, really important that certain parts of the business, and I think there are really two, three main roles. So I really don't think that you should be giving away sales early stage. I really don't think that you should be giving away finances early stage. And I really don't think that you should be giving away ops and structure internally away because your team can't build processes for you. You need to do that. But if you build the processes, then your team can run them for you. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah, the distinction there between um, the, the owning the processes and, and accountability, but not owning the work um, allow, and empowering your team otherwise to, to do the work. Um, something that we've definitely done as well is, is micromanaging even on like the, the customer service um, side. Like You can walk into hidden bottlenecks where you're like, I've got an excellent process. They know exactly what hours they're working, what their customer service rating should be, their response time nailed it and then and then you'll get these slightly strange requests and and if you don't start creating processes you'll start getting inundated with like oh there's a refund here or an exchange here or you, you get what i'm saying and so it's so it's also about creating processes where it's like do you know what if it's less than 50 dollars or 100 dollars to sort out sort it out right mm-hmm. and you can justify it to me and we'll review it once a week or once a month or 
never and yeah it's it's the the true empowerment i I'm, totally 100 percent get what you're saying you're 100 so, percent right as well can i just add one little thing on that absolutely. it's 100 percent right about building the processes as you go right because the processes are an ongoing thing like they grow as the business grows they improve as the business fucks up and breaks again because it will break again even with the best processes um and it's a constant evolving thing i always say to people like if you don't write the process as you solve the fire you are basically asking for the fire to happen again. But usually what happens is that it happens bigger the next time. So why don't we just slow down a little bit and write the process? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result, right? The um, the famous quote. So um, I love that. Okay. So um, where can people find out more about 10,000customers.com and and what you're doing? So you can find me all over the internet, ranting and raving about e-com, product businesses, profitability, leverage, volume, women in business. Um, If you search my name, Lucy Bloomfield, if you want to find out more about my company, we are 10,000customers.com. The 10,000 is numbers. Um, Yeah, check me out. There's lots of good content on there about the things, the mistakes that people make in these businesses. Love that. Side note, I would definitely go ahead, go ahead and buy the the the, the spell out ten thousand customers dot com if it's available. Just I bought there, it. Just I just redirect haven't set it up yet. <laughs> just redirect that. Just redirect that. It's uh, <laughs> it'll save you a pain because uh, <laughs> people are people, right? All right. Okay. So ten thousand customers dot com. That is one with five zeros after it customers.com all right so at this point in the show lucy we mix things up we go into the rapid fire question round i ask the questions quickly you can you can take your time um answering them but we always have a lot of fun we always uncover some some great discussions and some great learnings are you up for that yes let's do it are you two thumbs up for that yes if I could, if I, I've got one and my other one's on the microphone. So, yeah. <laughs> mic. All right. It kind of looks like a giant microphone thumb. So, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll give you that one. All right. Okay. Let's go into it. Right. Question number one. If you had to start again, like all over again, how would you make your money? Hmm. I fucking love what I'm doing right now, man. Like I I did a sales call at the start of this year where I sold a client straight into my high level program from a like, a warm lead like she came through Facebook ads but um yeah that's never happened before and when I was on that sales call I was getting just like full body chills because this is this stuff is so important and I know that there's no one doing it quite like I am and I know that this is going to change the lives of so many people that have product businesses and so could I make money? I, I can make money. Like that's one of the good things about being entrepreneurs. We find it very easy to make money. But honestly, I think I'm I'm really happy to keep my feet planted where I am right now because it's I'm just having such a good time. Beautiful. What's the most common or biggest mistake that leaders make? Hmm. I, I've got two things in mind and I can go on a process rant again, but you've all just heard it for half an hour. So <laughs> yes, processes. And it's not just limited to product businesses. It's everyone. But the other thing is abdication. And we kind of touched on it, right? Which is when we pass off parts of the business that we're too scared to do, that we don't want to do because this bullshit around like only doing things that you're passionate about in quotation marks. Um, And actually we, we give away our hand on the business and we, and we let really big bad things happen. And I think the abdication, you can do that in many ways. You can do that by, not looking at your numbers and not managing your cash flow. You can do that by not doing your tax returns for three years. You can do that by hiring too many staff so that they just figure it out. Like there are so many different forms of abdication, but it always ends up in one place, which is you having no money at the end of it. Nice. Who is the best leader ever, whether alive or dead and why? Oh, the best leader ever. My God, that's a really challenging question. The best leader ever. I think it's the word ever that un- that unsticks. Um, and that would unstick me, I think, answering the question because there's so many. Right? Yeah, so that's who's right. a great one that springs to mind and why. Yeah, I think that 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 gives me a little more leeway because I'm like, hmm, I've got a couple hmm. of different people that I can think of. Honestly, um, I have a lot of respect for a couple of women that are in my circle. One of them's my coach, so Leela Cosgrove. She is one of Australia's top women CEOs. 
And she she's just incredible. I really, really, really get so much value from working with her. And she um, she's an incredible CEO, like one of the best female CEOs in Australia. Um, and then the other one that I would say is Emma Grayson, who is a business colleague, millionaire in cash, very successful woman. And there are a lot of people that are millionaires. Like I don't say millionaire in cash to be like um, egoic about it. I know that that's not particularly special. But when it comes to women in business, actually it really is very special because only 3% of us that build businesses ever get to the million dollar mark as far as revenue. So for a woman to have a million dollars in the bank um, is a huge deal. And she inspires me every single day to be better with my money and a better leader. Um, and I think those are those are the two. 100%. How do you hire top talent? Rigorously. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> so I, I really like tests. Um, so for example, the way that I would hire a sales team, for example, or a salesperson is one of the core components of being good on the phone is being dynamic and interesting. And so an initial, uh, I guess, barrier or hurdle to get into an interview with me as a salesperson is I put out my job ad and I say, don't email me, call me and leave a voice message. And then I listen to the voice message and I figure out whether someone's going to be good on the phone or not. Let me tell you, 95% of people won't do it. They'll send the email. And it's like, why are you applying for a salesperson position? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's I've not heard that one before. That's that's fantastic. How do you how do you ensure that they get the opportunity to leave a voicemail and that you don't actually accidentally answer the phone? Have you set up a number specifically for that interview or like yes, how do you make phone. sure they go to voicemail? Second phone. Second phone? Yeah. That's just switched off and then you'll just turn it on, check your messages, switch it off type thing? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like tests in all areas, right? Because I like solving puzzles and I like coming up with really creative solutions. I think it's part of being an entrepreneur. And so even with VAs, like say you're hiring a VA to do your customer service for your product business. I would just pull 10 of the 10 emails from your current inbox, put them in a Word doc, save it get another document with your templates and give both of them to the VA and be like, choose the right answer for each of these. And if they can't do that, like it's not hard to do customer service when you're being given templates, then sorry, you didn't pass the test. Nice. Yeah. Can I trouble you for a third test? Ooh, a third test. Okay. Um, so fulfillment. I would be looking at fulfillment um, and then I would be looking at whether they have a high attention to detail. So what do you think could be some of the ways that you could test someone for high attention to detail? Um, getting them to ordering something that they don't know about, having it shipped to an address that they're not aware is yours and, and opening it up. But that's a little bit like one-on-one. -on -one. It's not going to be as good as whatever you're about to tell us. <laughs> well, you could just make really, really bizarre requests in your job ad, honestly, like asking for specific subject lines, asking for specific things to be said in the email or in the application um, and being really particular about that. Because the funny, the thing about fulfillment, which I think drives a lot of business owners crazy is it's such a fucking simple job why can't people get it right <laughs> that's always the complaint with people and so if you're making very particular requests in your job ad like I want to hear about the time that you uh made a mistake with an order tell me about that and they don't put that in your application it's like sorry like really basic stuff you get to find out who people are through their job application and it's not about like fuck submitting a resume and fuck submitting a cover letter write me a really good email that answers all of my questions and show me who you really are so I can make a decision I like that I like that a lot and yeah and attention to detail super important and I think we could go down a rabbit hole there for for sort of fun interesting ways to to, to do it but yeah the difference um I I recently so so we handed off our fulfillment like we have different fulfillment houses around the world but we have recently handed off the UK one and I was recording videos right of, of how I want it done okay so like and and then I was like right here's a video and I had someone I gave them gave them the video gave them the materials and asked them to follow along and and I was seeing that that you know the, the folding wasn't as precise or the <laughs> you know the, the, there was air in this or this was a sort of bit hodgepodge or this one and I'm like look the second that goes through customs at Abu Dhabi that's going to 
be destroyed, right? That's gonna that's gonna tear open because of the space. But you don't realize it, I guess, until you do it. And so then you were able to write tighten up the training, tighten up the training, and and so on. But it was it's it's interesting, right? It's something you think is so simple, just just put the shit in the envelope, fold it, and you know it's it's not right. So it's yeah. That's actually a um, yeah, really good one. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that. I always thought about testing the attention to detail like through the job ad and finding out whether they're really good at picking up on cues because, I mean, yes, like we get them packing, but I never thought about getting them to send a video. Well, I think that comes later on. I think mm. that even when you said they asked the question initially, I was thinking in terms of, right, you've got your existing staff. How are you, how can you keep your existing staff on sharp? But you're, you're at the earliest stage. You mm. don't want to be shipping out product to every applicant to like do a video. So it might be a later stage in the interview where you just say, Hey, just grab something in your house. That's a similar sort of size and shape to the, to my product and just film yourself, like wrapping it up, following these instructions as best as you can. Uh, you know, that could be, could be a cool little um cool little thing or send, send a video of, of you wrapping up christmas presents i want to yes. see how you fold in the corners and the edges and how you do the <laughs> you know the celebrate and stuff yeah i really really like that that's a really good idea um the thing i think the thing that people get caught up on with um hiring people is that they spend way too much time thinking that they've got to train them you shouldn't really be spending that much time training them. The process should train them. Like if you have a Monday board set up with your pick and pack process, for example, and every single item has a video and then you also have an item that's like shows you the full process and someone can't do the job based off that. I mean, yeah, we're talking about fulfillment here, but it goes for everything. It goes for ordering from your suppliers or doing marketing admin or whatever. If they can't follow the video, do you really want them working for you? Like, Love it. What is one of your proudest moments? God, there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) Your your questions are so definitive. It's like the proudest moment. I'm like, shit, (laughs) the proudest moment. Okay, I've got a couple. I've got a couple. So I think, honestly, I think um, moving into the place that I'm in now, I'm in the middle of the Melbourne CBD, Central Business District. I found this amazing warehouse style apartment that was it's like 150 square meters in the middle of the city it's very unusual building and it's crazy expensive and I was in the point the position financially where I could just be like yeah whatever like I'm renting it I'm not buying it like it's just money gone that was really cool as someone who like I grew up in the middle of the desert in the middle of Australia in a town that had a population of 30,000 people And my mom used to work like three, four jobs just to keep a roof over our head. So to go from that to that is really, really cool. And actually, I think I'm going to say that's the proudest moment that I've had so far. I think that's a great answer. Yeah. What's one interesting fact about you that not many people would know? Oh, I used to compete horses. <laughs> in 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 what format? Uh, I used to do show jumping, um, and uh, yeah, I had a really very nice horse that I used to jump around meter twenty, meter thirty, and um, yeah, something that I've been thinking about a lot with successful people in business is that we usually have mastery in other areas of our lives, and I dare say that a lot of your listeners and even you, Martin, would have the same thing. You've probably had a series of things that you've been very good at. You see that a lot with with entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the guests on the show, a lot of the the, the people in our networks, in my mastermind, and so on. It, you, you see that time and time again that they've actually been like world class in something, um, because because that sort of embedded thread to and drive to to just be the best at whatever it is that you're focusing on is is very much an entrepreneurial um talent as is um shiny object syndrome and a bunch of other <laughs> bad things right like there's <laughs> similar sort of cues um to it but yeah, i feel I personally attacked <laughs> don't talk to me about shiny object syndrome <laughs> <laughs> what daily routines do you have whether it's morning or evening that have helped make you more successful I could go over the usual stuff like journaling and everything, but I think everyone's heard that a million times before. Yes, it is 100% a part of how I live my life and I do recommend it. Um, The other thing that I would say is really deep meditation. So not just like 10 minutes, but like I have been making more effort over the last years to carve out blocks of time, an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, depending on the day, to 
go into such a deep meditation that I start having, um, this is going to sound weird, but like your brain, when it gets to the deepest level of meditation starts hallucinating, you're basically in REM sleep, but you're still awake. Um, that is life-changing. Like having that sense, getting that deep into meditation often is amazing. And the other thing, which I really, really like is hot and cold therapy. I have love being in the sauna and then switching to a plunge pool and then being in the sauna and then switching to an ice bath and then rotating that. Like it's amazing for inflammation. It's amazing for your health. Um, and it just feels really good. Nice. I like that. And so let's, let's delve into the deep meditation a little bit. So it's not something that just happens. I'm sure that's come with a lot of practice. Where do you, where do you suggest people start to dabble to if their, their goal is deep hallucinating whilst awake? Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So there's a couple of really good things that you can do. There's Brain FM, which is um, a software as a service. They've got an app, but basically it's music designed to get your brain into certain states. They have really cool Binaural. stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. They have really great tracks for like getting you into creative flow, for recharging, for deep work. Um, and there's also really great guided and unguided meditations. And even when I'm like if I've been working more hours and I'm kind of fried, I'll get the guided one still and just settle back into it. Um, the other thing, and I guess this depends on your flavor and how comfortable you are with like spirituality, is there are really, really, really good like hour and a half plus meditations on um, YouTube. Now, not just meditations, but uh, creative imagination meditations. So <laughs> I wonder what your uh, listeners are going to think of this. So for example, past life regression meditations, where you imagine who you were in a past life. And actually, depending on what you believe about it, honestly, there's been some really weird experiences happen with very well-known people um, where they've known stuff or they found out stuff in a meditation that's actually been true. I remain... Um, in the middle about the whole thing. I find it really fun to do and I enjoy the effects. And I find that the creative meditation where you're like imagining certain things um, actually gets you like a deeper and better result. So that's why I choose to do it. Love this. So have you got, um, do any channel names or searches on YouTube uh, spring to mind? <laughs> Past life regression. <laughs> so so it's, it's called? Past life regression. You can also do a death meditation. Um, which is really interesting. Don't do this if you have um, anxiety, PTSD, things like that. Um, obviously, this is not health advice or anything like that. Please make <laughs> Full disclaimer, yeah. So. Please take responsibility <laughs> for yourself and your state. Um, sometimes it's not the right thing to do. But for those of you that are interested, I think there are some some really good like ego death past life meditations um, on on YouTube that you can play around with. Wow. Love that. Wow. Yeah. We went off on a real cool tangent then, but it was, <laughs> that was a fun one. What book or books have changed your mindset or life? God. Other than the goal, which you mentioned. <laughs> I was going to say, you already know one. Okay, cool. So I've got a Bible, right? Not uh, the Bible. Not the Bible. Like, no, right. I've got a Bible that I always return to whenever I start feeling more fried. Um and it's, it's Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. I mean, he's not like, I like Ryan Holiday's work. I think he's cool, but he's not like a researcher or anything. He's not bringing new information. He just kind of aggregates everything and puts things in a really nice way. Um, and I always return to that book when I'm, I'm feeling disconnected with myself and it just helps me like get back into stillness. The other thing, I mean, there's a really good book, which I think has... I return to you all the time. It's a very sad uh, novel called The Power of One by Bryce Courtney. And uh, to me, that that kind of sums up my life. I've always been hyper-focused and obsessed on my work and doing amazing things. And whenever I feel like I'm not getting to my outcome fast enough, I return to that book because it reminds me that it's a, a lifelong journey. As far as business, honestly, Fifth Discipline by, um, I think it's Peter Senge. I think I'm pulling a brain um, blanks at the moment. Sorry, it's been a long week, but fifth discipline is incredible uh, from a management perspective. If you want to learn about managing people more, that's a really, really great book. 
And I'm just trying to think. There was one other book that I just finished recently. Can't remember it, but I'll let you know if I remember it, Martin. Nice. We've got three great books um, in there, and oh, four actually um, in there. So uh, that's that's amazing. I asked for one, so, so <laughs> we, we got loads more. It's all good. What's the most exciting question you spend your time thinking about? Or to rephrase, an exciting question. <laughs> hmm. I think a lot about the ethics of product businesses, actually. And I'm not sure if there's one particular question related to it. I guess the question that I'm always asking myself is like, how can my clients make their supply chain better? Because I feel like we have a bit of a duty um, as product businesses and particularly people that sell consumables, which pretty much everyone in product does to try and mitigate some of the negatives of what our business does to the planet. I know for me, um, one of the one of the craziest things, exercises I ever did when I was getting towards the end of my skincare company was sit down and figure out how many plastic foil packets we'd put into the environment over the three years. And then going, taking a trip to the garbage tip um, and just thinking about the impact of that. (laughs) Um, So I'm often thinking about supply chain and reducing um, waste at the moment. It's a big part. You've triggered me, Lucy. So um, this is this is a, a, a tremendously important subject. I write about it in my book. Um, I call um, it's it's one of the components of being what I call an enlightened entrepreneur, right? And um, one of the one of the components here is that you have a responsibility to make money, sure, but you also have a responsibility as a business owner to um, leave the world in a better place than when you found it, i.e., when you launched your business. Um, I practice what. I preach so with 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 new brew we're an eco-friendly business the 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 packaging it would have been so easy to just use plastic tubs so so much easier right to just use plastic foils but we we've got cardboard we've got paper um sachets we um use paper outer packaging which is very very uh, difficult to find and so on um we're as eco-friendly as we possibly can be with our packaging but at the same time whilst we're helping our customers we're also uh giving money to uh to charities and through those charities we're actually fortifying food of malnourished uh, children who uh, you know we're helping our customers improve their brain and 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 achieve higher levels of nutrition whilst you know there's people in the world in fact two billion people in the world who don't have basic um, nutrition and so our, our logic is that the more people uh, we help the more people we can help who would never become our customers anyway and the world is in a better place without us doing much in terms of a footprint um, on the fulfillment side and and so the end result is leaving the world in a in a better place than when you found it as a result of you being there and the classic example I give of the flip side of that is a cigarette company for example Mm. the more successful they are the more people's lives are fucking destroyed so um I call it being an enlightened entrepreneur. It's what we call it, a smarter destiny. But absolutely, I think that you're spending time thinking about that and actually visualizing the the, the plastic containers, um, visualizing the the landfill sites where all of the the plastic gets dumped forever, um, is is a really important question. And I think sometimes it comes down. I'm going on a bit of a rant here, no, but you know, people listening, people listening, um, hopefully th- this can uh, stimulate a change, which is what we're trying to do anyway with the book and the, and the podcast anyway you can make little changes. You don't have to switch up your entire packaging. Perhaps you can, um, and I was having this discussion, I was doing a bit of consulting work and I was, and the, the, the discussion was like, well, ah, but it's going to be really difficult to make container that's that's um, like eco-friendly. Okay, well, could you at least um, set up recycling options so that your customers can send it back to you and you can incentivize that? Um, could you um, neutralize your carbon footprint of that return by planting trees? Could you build your packaging out of recycled materials? Um, is there is there something that you can remove or reduce in your in your packaging? You can take these one percent steps to becoming um, more of an enlightened entrepreneur, right? Step by step by step. And so there's little changes that we can all make in our business, which which compounded all have a massive effect. So um, I'll step off the the, the snowbox for a second, but I think that was important. What advice would you give your younger self? Uh, You're not going to be a millionaire by 21, but that's okay. Um, 
And also... So stop lying to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, I think that I would say to my younger self that there's heaps of time. I felt I, in the last 18 months, I felt a really big shift where I'm like, okay, I'm settling in now. This company is going to be really successful. I know it will be like a $20 million consultancy at some point in the future. And actually, all I really need to do right now is stay the course for as long as it takes. Whereas prior to the last 18 months, I have been like, oh my God, I got to get it done today. Like I've got to be a million dollar, $2 million, $5 million, a whatever million dollar business right now. And I've got to kill myself to get there. And it's just like, actually, like, I just need to chill out and pace myself and enjoy life. And I'm going to get there eventually. And I'm also going to be a lot happier for it. Nice. What was your biggest challenge starting in business and how did you overcome it? I had $20,000 in the bank when I started um, the skincare company. And that was all the savings that I'd had from the cybersecurity company that I worked for because I blew it all when I was partying in Europe and having fun, which was great. And uh, I was so scared to let go of that money. I was really, really terrified at the start that the skincare company wasn't going to be successful. And we didn't spend all of it on stock. Like we spent a small percentage to test the idea like anyone would um, start a company uh, in a strategic way, minimum viable product, right? Um, But I would just say that like investing in yourself is literally the best. And I don't mean, um, you know, getting a uni degree, although that can be really powerful, but that 20 grand invested into that company led me to here. And over the last two years, I've probably spent like 200, maybe 250,000, probably about $250,000 on coaches, consultants, contractors, like people that have helped me become a better business person and run a better business. And I just think I have a completely different attitude now, but I really, really do think now that that was absolutely the best $20,000 that I could have ever spent. Amazing. Is that Aussie that dollars or US question? dollars? Aussie. It, uh, it does one. Aussie? Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that does answer answer the question. Absolutely. And, and, and that was like a small risk with such a massive reward um, on reflection because you had the faith that you were, you were spending it, investing it in the, in the right direction, uh, yeah. in this case, in yourself. And it's really interesting as well, because I remember getting out of that skincare company and having no idea what to do next. And I said to my stepdad, my 20 grand is gone. And he's like, oh, well, you should have known better because they're very conservative. And now yeah. I look back on that and I was just like, oh my God, that was the best 20 grand I ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hindsight and, and reflections, uh, incredible thing. And and it's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? The mindset that you would have been in, obviously that mindset was, a, was probably a, a negative place given the circumstances. But like, imagine if in that moment you were like, wow, I can do anything i've got the skills i've got the thing and it's it's so difficult because there's many times we can all look back on our own lives and go wow i could have looked at that so so differently right but <laughs> um but you know that was the reality and and as entrepreneurs yeah you, you the skills and the experience stays with you and that's why often you see um the the uh the number of times you fail before succeeding um, number getting smaller and smaller and smaller through entrepreneurs careers because you, you just don't make the, the the same mistakes over and over and over typically as you're learning so it's great what unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out I love pickles pickles <laughs> I love pickles I love fermenting things so I'm I'm big on like um, making sauerkraut and um, kimchi and pickles and kombucha. I feel like more people should get into fermenting. Nice. Where 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 do we start? Like, what what's a good starting point to get into fermenting? If we've got the, you know, with all the spare time that all the people listening have. <laughs> um. So I really like it because it's tactile and it gets you out of your head. And I think there's there's a couple. If you want to like get an easy start into fermenting, you can just grab a um, cabbage. And there's tons of sauerkraut recipes on the internet. It's so good. Like you just get it out of the jar and you eat it. But also having your own kombucha, kombucha is fucking expensive. It's like $6 a bottle here in Australia. And I can make it for like 30 cents for like eight liters um, at home. So yeah, like, and there's really cool stuff that you can do it as 
as well. Like you can make your own flavors. You can make like, oh, the best one that I ever made was strawberry and lime. And if you want to get into that, there's this really good YouTube channel called You Brew Kombucha. She does really good beginner tutorials on, on fermenting kombucha. Beautiful. And that brings us to the final question, Lucy. What makes you happiest? Putting myself first before the business because I am a human outside of the work that I do. And that's really only something that I've cemented in the last year. Um, but actually the more like energy I put into myself separately from the business, the bigger my business gets and the more successful it is. And actually self-care isn't a luxury during really hard times in business. It's a necessity and it has to come first before the business, because if it, if it doesn't, your business isn't your business without you. So you've got to come first. I love that answer. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, you're putting on your own oxygen mask, right? Like it, when you, when you do that, it's not selfish to put yourself first in front of the, the people or things or organizations that need you to be at your best. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's critical. So, uh, that's a great answer. Um, yes. Great answer to cap off a great show. Um, at this point, Lucy, I'd like to uh, ask you, do you have any asks or requests of the audience listening today? If anything has resonated today and you've been in a situation where your business has become really successful really quickly um, and you're coming up against really, really different problems in the sense that you're not like, yes, you would like to be making more money and maybe you're even stuck on, stuck in that uh, more money, more money, more money cycle. But actually what's happening internally is something else completely different and you're not sure how to deal with it. Please reach out to me. Um, this is my job. It, I have a process. <laughs> Funny that I have a process um, and it is fixable and you'll have to spend about 12 months fixing it. If this is your first year of, of being really successful, if you've been, you're a couple of years in, it roughly takes about as long as the business has been successful to fix the problems, but it's totally fixable. And if you stay the path, you can work less, make more money and keep more money. Um, and also if you're not there yet, but having those problems sounds good, reach out to me because we also help people do that. Beautiful. And they can do that by Googling your name, Lucy Bloomfield or going to 10,000customers.com. Yes, or yeah. you can send me an email directly, lucy at 10,000customers.com. Very annoying, subtle detail there. I have the domain name with the words and my email is the domain name with the words, not the numbers. So 10,000customersinwords.com is my email. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share with us today. Um, I found it deeply fascinating. The fact um, that we were going into the other side, right? The other side of the business, not a vol not the volume side. We're going into the leverage side. And actually, that's the thing that, that trips so many people up. Um, I myself have been a victim of that in the past for 100%. It's still, it's still um, or it's a silent always. assassin even now it never goes away it's right always a problem and, <laughs> and it, it's it's great that um that you're out there talking about this teaching this and helping so many people uh succeed when the the stats uh are stacked against them um in in many cases so um yeah once again thank you so much for taking the time today to share with us thank you for having me martin it was an honor and um yeah really grateful to have the opportunity Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.